You're listening to Radio 1190, 1190 AM, KVCU Boulder, Denver, 98.9 FM, Translator K255DA Boulder, and of course we're always online at Radio1190.org, streaming wherever you are. Welcome to News Underground. My name is Lucy. Uh, I am going to be your host for tonight, and we've just got one set of guests, uh, but I'm really excited uh, about this. So... Adam Lisbon, he is a librarian at CU. Uh, he is part of a project that is working to um, add more records on the Japanese American community to the CU libraries and um, especially records around the 40s and 50s and uh, times when Japanese Americans were incarcerated in the state of Colorado, uh, which we're getting to about the 75th anniversary of um, that unfortunate era. Um, and with him, I also have uh, Alex Kimada, uh, and he is just a community member, a CU alum, um, who's involved in the project. And we're just going to talk about this because I think it's really interesting, um, kind of how the project is working and all of that. Thank you both for joining me. Yeah, wonderful to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. And I'd love to hear from both of you how you got involved. Um, so from Adam, you know, how you got to doing this project and facilitating this, and then from Alex, how you got to working with Adam and working with the project. Sure. So um, I am the Japanese and Korean Studies Librarian at the University of Colorado. And actually, since I had started working here six years ago, uh, I learned a lot about our own archives and what kinds of um, materials we had related to Japanese Americans in World War II and during incarceration. But, um, of course, Japanese Americans have been here as early as uh, 1917 or 1912, I believe. Um, one of our first uh, graduates from Japan was here to get a medical degree and return to Japan to practice medicine. So uh, that was a time when uh, Japan was learning more about modern medicine techniques and going around the world and sort of discovering um, sciences and bringing all that back to Japan to modernize and industrialize. So um, we do have a, a long history connected with Japan and Japanese Americans, and we're sort of finally starting to explore that now. <coughs> and um, uh, there's a group in Denver called the Sakura Foundation, and they do a program called the Mirai Generations Leadership Program. And Mirai is Japanese for future. And that's how um, Alex and I first met. And this program helps connect people to the Japanese American community, especially people who are younger with people with the um, with more established members of the community, sort of like create a, a line of continuity to sort of preserve history and culture of Japanese Americans. And um, that sort of helped me start to think about like, hey, you know, we have this history at CU um, and we can work with this community to create that, uh, to help tell that story. Wonderful, yeah, I think you've done a really good job uh, kind of explaining how I've got involved. I mean, the thing I'll add is that Adam asked me kind of to uh, look at any archive items I might have at home. So he's uh, doing the archive here. When we talked about archive, I always thought of, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But uh, he's looking for things that are current as well, which kind of piqued my interest about how uh, Japanese Americans in this day and age presently are being archived for the future and how this kind of will be thought about in the future. Right. So, like, Alex, what years were you here at CU? So I was here from uh, 2007 to 2011. Right. So in that time, I mean, that could have been anything from, like, CDs signed by friends to, uh, I don't know, some kind of, like, 
photo book collection since things weren't so, <laughs> so digital back then, right? Right. Um, or I don't know if you've been keeping a diary that you want to <laughs> share with everyone about your time here. <laughs> Bits and pieces, maybe, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, we... Um, uh, our archivist, Megan Friedel, uh recognized that uh, in terms of the 75th anniversary, it's actually be 75 years um, when FDR signed the declaration ending incarceration. So we thought that this was really good timing to pursue this project. And um, uh, so we actually uh, applied with the CU Boulder Outreach Committee to get a grant to do this. And we were uh, they were generous enough to fund this. And so uh, what we were able to do with that is we've been able to hire three interns to work with us. So we have three undergraduates who are kind of learning about archival work and working with the Japanese-American community. They're going over our administrative records and finding out who our alumni were and where they may be now so that we can reach out to them and, and kind of discover their experiences on the campus. Um, we've been, uh, we're also going to be digitizing 500 objects so that they will be accessible to the community from wherever they may be. Um, as you know, there's lots of uh, CU alum who come from California, and I'm pretty sure we have some Californians that were here and part of the Japanese American community be able to kind of capture their experiences too. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that's already quite a lot. Um, and there, there has been a bit of an archive already mm -hmm. from some Japanese American records, um, but there were a lot of gaps, or there are a lot of gaps still. Can you talk about yeah. what those gaps are, and um, kind of if you're searching for specific records, mm -hmm. or uh, how you're going about the search process? Sure. So what we do have right now is actually during World War II, um, the Japanese. Uh, sorry, there was a Japanese language school here at the campus that was, uh, uh, it was uh, through the Navy. And so we actually had a large Japanese-American community here. And what's really surprising is that CU Boulder actually put a lot of effort into welcoming Japanese-Americans during this, during this time when actually there was a lot of hostility, hostility towards the community. So um, Japanese-Americans had to leave the West Coast to go to incarceration camps uh, throughout the country. And CU Boulder actually ended up with the largest population of Japanese Americans west of the Mississippi during World War II. And so CU Boulder was actively uh, bringing uh, Japanese Americans out of incarceration camps to come work and study on campus. Um, and that is kind of the, the beginning of that, that, that history. So what we have is we have records from that experience. And now we're trying to expand out to not just this Japanese language naval school, but also um, what was daily life like? What was it like for community members in Boulder and on the campus? What were their day-to-day -day experiences? And that's what we're starting to try and figure out right now, because what we have right now is the administrative record. And when I say administrative record, think yearbooks, think official documentation, things like that. And it's those tend to be things uh, that are not coming from the community itself. It tells us about the community. Mm -hmm. And so the missing pieces diaries and photos or cassette tapes and interviews and oral histories, things that really document what day-to-day -day life was for people. Mm -hmm. And it really varies uh, family to family. Alex's family has a totally different story than maybe people here in um, uh, Colorado. So I thought Alex could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, so, you know, uh, when I was part of the uh, Mirai Generation program, we really talked a lot about the Machi uh, camp down here where a lot of people were, were put. And my family was in Hawaii at that time, which is a little bit different, that there were so many Japanese over there that they didn't really have the same experience. Um, and also, additionally, my family came over and kind of really uh, bought in, I would say, in a way that 
you know, they, they were immediately like, we want to be American. We're so American. We'll fight for this country. And so they were really proud to fight in the 100th, for example. My grandparents both fought on my mom and dad's side and, and were really, really proud to do so um, and, and kind of never explained this kind of experience about Amatu to me before I came here at all. We had always heard all these other stories about kind of fighting and how, you know, rewarding and how uh, proud they were to do that experience. And so uh, for me, kind of, you know, learning about this experience, having archives and kind of experiencing kind of this duality of these very different experiences in the same country, I was very interesting. And the program, the Mirai Generations Leadership Program that the Sakurara Foundation does, uh, we, as part of it, we go and we interview community me community members and known leaders in the program. And uh, I remember sitting down with somebody who was an alum here in the 60s, and we were talking, and I was telling him about the Japanese language school, and this is some of the bits and pieces we had. Um, and uh, we were talking about it, and, and his response to it was like, wow, that would have really meant a lot to me to know that that stuff was here. And it was here, but it wasn't really being um, broadcast out. And it's really thanks to our archivist, David Hayes, who's done so much work with the Japanese language school that we've sort of discovered and uncovered this connection to the Japanese American community and now need to fill the rest of it out. Um, I mean, Alex, like when you were here, I mean, in terms of being Japanese American on the campus, like, you know, how did that relate to your experiences at CU? Yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, you know, I was one of the only Japanese American, you know, friends that I had. I mean, I didn't have very many. I, I had a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of Korean, a lot of Chinese friends, but not a lot of Japanese American friends. And I didn't even know the archive existed, for example. Um, and so. You know, that was the reason kind of why I joined the Mirai Generation program and got to know you is because I didn't have that community kind of starting here to begin with at all. Um, and then, you know, I had that community back in Hawaii because there were just so many other Japanese people, but, but here I was kind of isolated. And what's it been like for you? Uh, you were mentioning that, you know, growing up, your family had a very specific idea of coming to America and being part of American culture. But what's it been like seeing some of these records? Uh, have they been... Um, different from what you've heard from family members, or how has it kind of fit in with your understanding of yourself as a Japanese-American person? Yeah, it's um, nuanced, I would say, right? So, you know, we, I, I knew it existed, obviously. We learned about it in school, and, you know, my school wasn't derelict about talking about it. But, you know, talking with people in person and kind of hearing first-person stories gives it a lot of nuance, right? It's neither black nor white. Um, or any, you know, it's everything in between. You know, everyone had uh, very different experiences, even in the camps, uh, even coming here, even, you know, kind of the, the trauma that's experienced today has been different for each person. And so, uh, you know, I think when I, we learned about it in school, it was very much about, like, here's what happened, here's how it affected everyone, and here's the outcome for everybody. And that's, that's not the case, right? That's what kind of what archives are for, is to show kind of the nuance in, in kind of everyday life to life and how it affects everybody today. And uh, Colorado has a very interesting place in that history. So Colorado was the only state that would not incarcerate its Japanese-American citizens, and so it became a safe haven for others from the West Coast to come inward and be here. And that was thanks to Governor Ralph Carr, who actually was a Republican, and um, he felt that just if you're an American citizen, then one has the right to imprison you or incarcerate you. And uh, that was a, a really, he's really been honored in the Japanese American community here for making that commitment to stand by, you know, our rights as Americans and, and, and such. And, uh, but that led to a influx of Japanese Americans into the state who fled the West Coast and came here or who came here through CU Boulder. And also 
the interesting thing is that even though Colorado did not incarcerate its own Japanese-American citizens, we still had a camp. Alex was talking about Amache, which is down in the southwest corner of the state. Um, sorry, southeast corner of the state. And there was a camp there. And uh, Japanese-Americans from other states were brought there and ended up there. And uh, some of them would get hired off by Japanese-American locals in Colorado to work on their farms. There was actually a big community in Thornton, lots of Japanese-American farmers, also in Grand Junction. And so we don't know how many of those people who also helped other Japanese-Americans were part of CU, if they were alum or not. Um, And so we, uh, as we've started this and we had that first news article in CU Boulder Day, we've actually had some outreach from the community really thrilled. We've had a few people offer to do oral histories, and so we're only just starting that. And thanks to uh, working with the Sokolar Foundation to sort of naturally build those connections into the Japanese-American community, we've done a lot of the legwork already. Um, We don't have to start right away with this um, opportunity um, not knowing anyone already, but because we had done Mirai Generations, we got to meet lots of people in a sort of organic way and just become friends with people. And so um, if it hasn't been obvious for people listening in, I'm white, so I'm not actually Japanese-American at all. Um, I'm just typical European white mutt. But um, I lived in Japan a long time, and when I moved to Denver, um, I found that uh, the Japanese-American community were people who, when I talked about stuff from Japan, like they knew what it was, and so it was much easier to, to relate to them. I lived in Japan for four years, so it's a big part of my life. Um, and so talking about things like obon dance or certain kinds of snacks, it was just easier to connect with Japanese-Americans often. And that's how I slowly came into the community, did the Mirai Generations Leadership Program, and sort of recognized, like, oh, like in all of the sort of Japanese-American events that Sakura Foundation or um, the Japanese-American, um, that some of the other Japanese-American uh, organizations in Denver have done, they, there's not been a big talk about... Uh, archiving and and what to do about that. And I realized that there is this big gap and how do we respectfully work with this community um, and and encourage them to sort of archive their histories and legacies and things that have gone on. I've seen different objects, uh, like one that I remember is a friend of mine, uh, her grandmother didn't go to see you, but has this book of letters given to her by friends about uh, good luck in the the camps, uh, in the incarceration centers, things like that. So um, and those are objects that maybe they're not CU-related, but we still want to work with the community to help direct them to, well, our archive is going to be focused on the history of CU Boulder, but there's history of Colorado that can help, or Denver Public Library does some archiving work. There's a Carnegie Library in Boulder County that also uh, records a lot of the local history. So, um, you know, it's really interesting, but now that we're in the digital age, um, we you know, we, we tend to think of archives as paper-based uh, objects and documentation. That's very true. We have lots. I think our, I forget how many feet of materials we have in the archives, but it works out to be about 10 miles worth of materials. Um, so yeah, when you lay it all end to end, it, uh, that's how archives measure the amount of stuff they have is they measure it in miles. <laughs> and, um, but you know, people are getting older and I was talking to, um, I was interviewing a member of the Japanese American community and what they were telling me was, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago to donate my personal effects to an archive somewhere, I'd like, no way, absolutely not. But now she's realizing her, her kids don't care about, like, holding on to any of that stuff and realizes that there, there's, there needs to be a place to, to put it and sort of tell those stories. Um, and so I think that that's interesting as, as we start to digitize, suddenly the importance of, like, 
physical objects, like think of like a cassette tape, um, suddenly matter a lot more. Like it's a physical thing we're able to hold on to in a temperature controlled room for playback in the future. Or we mm. have the technology to digitize some of those materials, whether they're um, audio or visual writing, things like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'll just add quickly, you know, I think it's important to do it because uh, even like Ancestry, right? So we, were, we did Ancestry.com and I have a lot of friends um, who are Caucasian or African-American who can really trace back that ancestry very easily. But for a lot of us, at least in my family, it's really hard to do it. It you know, goes back a couple generations and just disappears exactly. Um, so having kind of the archives to do that, um, it just wasn't very well documented back in the day. And so kind of bringing it back now so I can explain to my kids or even my parents can explain to me is, is really important, I think. Yeah, and so the project, at least the grant, is... Uh, expected to go till June 2020 um, and I'm sure you can receive archived items uh, ad infinitum you know <laughs> like people will always probably want to be donating but in the period that you have that's funded by this outreach award um, what are you hoping to uh, to accomplish in there so some of the major things we hope to accomplish are we're going to collect oral histories. Um, so you, you do do interviews and capture that audio, and that'll be a you, you know that'll be a digital object going forward. Since we're in 2019 now, we won't be recording that on a CD or a cassette tape at all. Um, but this is a great chance for us to talk to a lot of people. Uh, about their experiences over the years. And um, we even had somebody who was interested in, in uh, offering an oral history. Um, they had reached out, and I thought that was fantastic. And one thing they had said that was really striking to me was um, they, they, they sort of emphasized that they had had good memories. And, um, you know, for anyone listening out there, when you're thinking about archives, it isn't just about, like, what the good stuff was. We want to know the bad stuff because we want the complete historical record. Um, and so we'll be doing this for the next year, the good, the bad, and the ugly, collecting it all and finding out what we can. We're also, our, our interns are going through our materials and sort of helping like form connections. And as we discover different things, um, we can digitize those objects. One thing we had come across was um, we found a photo of a group of Japanese Americans and they were part of something called the Kenkyu Club. And it was pretty funny because uh, we were all standing around it and looking at it and um, my, uh, friends from the community were there, and and a lot of them actually don't speak Japanese, and and nobody knew what the word was. I'm like, oh, that's Japanese for research. They're a research club, <laughs> but you know, I wonder what what school they were in. Were they across different disciplines? Like, what was it they were studying together? What what research were they doing together? So we have the photo, but then there's the greater context, and who are the people in the photo? And you know, now that we know that there's Ken Q Club, we can start asking alumni who start to reach out to us again, like, hey, were you part of this group? Were you part of that group? Like. Um, what was it actually like to today? What did the group really do? What was what was a Friday night like for you guys in Boulder in the 60s or the 70s, you know? Um, I know in the, uh, in the 70s, I know that there was a lot of um, connection between the Native American communities and the Japanese American communities. They were both really working together for um, minority inclusion and minority rights on the campus. Um, they'd done a lot of work. And so we're starting to hear a little bits and pieces of that. So we know that things are out there. And in, a, in what is a fantastic example of small world syndrome, a very good friend of mine, um, her mom is Native American and worked on the campus. And it turned out that um, one of the people I'd interviewed in the Japanese American community was friends with my friend's mom. And then my friend is texting her mom like, do you remember so-and-so? And they're like, oh yeah, she was really nice. Like, glad that everybody got along, right? Like maybe it would, maybe it'd have been more dramatic, like, oh no. But yeah, it's, it's amazing to realize like how all this comes back. and. 
it matters not just for like Japanese American communities. It matters for um, all kinds of underrepresented communities. And I think that archives have often been seen as ivory towers or places of privilege. And historically, they have tended to reflect white Western history. And um, when Megan Friedel became the head of our archive, she really emphasized the need to to capture multiple histories. And so. Um, when this grant had popped up, this seemed like the perfect opportunity to um, work with the Japanese American community and um, give us a chance to uh, connect and really do something good for them. And so um, myself and my colleague Megan and my colleague David, we really are just the connector point. It's not about us, it's about the Japanese American community and the materials that represent their history. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of this has actually come pretty easily as the community has found out and uh, kind of just reached out and offered um, support both in work and in objects. Have there been struggles so far? Um, you know, things are still pretty new. Mm -hmm. So I would say um, there haven't been any struggles uh, yet. But what I can anticipate is struggles that archives in general face. So as the world has changed and things have become more digital, um, that has required a whole new approach to archiving. And, and think of what archiving is gonna be like in another 100 years where we probably will very much live in a completely digital age or we'll be using rocks, one of the two. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, have, digital archi archiving is really complex and it requires really expensive equipment. So we're moving into like a whole other world with whole different technologies, but we still have vast amounts of uh, paper that still needs attention. And, and so some ways you, um, you know, archivists are just developing new skills all the time and figuring out new ways to do things. And um, I myself am actually not an archivist, I, but I see all the amazing work that my colleagues in the archives are doing and trying to work with community members and um, capture these histories and, and seek out documents. You know, one thing that surprised me was we were doing an event. Um, <clears throat> the Office of Outreach and Engagement holds an event for people who've been awarded grants to work with communities around Colorado. And um, we were doing these talks and meeting other people and hearing what they were doing and hearing about all these cool projects that people were up to. And I remember one of our fellow professors was, had said, like, oh, I had no idea that libraries and archives were, like, out there working with communities. The, the, it, it's really funny, but there seems to be this, that, that stereotype of, like, the um, uh, librarian with the bun in the hair and the glasses um, sort of behind a desk going, shh at people all the time. Um, Alex, I'll get your impressions of librarians in a moment, but um, uh, pe people really hold on to that stereotype. And I mean, we are nothing like that day to day. I mean, I'll be honest, I've actually been shushed several times by students in the library because I'm too chatty. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what was your impression of libraries when you were here? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about this at all. I mean, the only reason I was in the library was to, to study or to, to not study, but pretend to study, right? So. Um, <laughs> I had no idea the archive exists. I had no idea, I mean, it's interesting to me that, that when you approached me, so I went to see you and, and you guys are doing archive here. So you approached me to, to ask about items and I had no idea you wanted, you know, stuff this recently, right? I mean, that was astounding to me that, you know, archives were for me were always 50 years ago and, and there's something you always think about in the past. And so for anyone listening to that stuff, you know, recently I encourage you to reach out to Adam because he really is looking for stuff currently and, and in the process currently. and something I'd never considered till I'd heard about it, basically. I mean, truly everything um, that's happened up to the present day is what we're interested in. Yeah. That's fantastic. And so people can just 
email you or send it to the libraries? What's the process for <laughs> someone who wants to submit something, whether it's digital or uh, physical? So we will be focusing on on physical things. I can tell you that right now. And the other thing is, you know, uh, to anyone out there who has who thinks they have a sort of family story to tell, like not just Japanese Americans, but anyone who who sort of has something they want preserved, maybe. Um, do remember that the sort of little things in your lives that don't seem that important, that's that's really what archives are about, is like capturing what day-to-day -day people have done. And of course, we take like famous people's stuff as well and things like that. It's always very exciting. Um, but um, things in the moment that seem really trivial matter a lot to archives and help like complete a picture. And so one thing to think about is like, uh, you, you know, we of course we want donations, but also don't necessarily just show up with a cardboard box of unfiled <laughs> items, you know, some kind of comical routine coming down the stairs with it. Um, it, it, it. There is some formality to it. So, of course, you know, we absolutely want you to reach out to us, but it's like we want to start a conversation and kind of go from there and find out if, um, you know, archives, although we have, we have, you know, miles of stuff, but we also have only so much space and only so many people who can um, process things and things take time. And so, making sure that we can work with people and know that we have the capacity to sort of take it in. And we're always interested and we always want to know. But if it turns out that we're not the right fit, we're going to help you find the right place for it. Or we can also teach you how to preserve things at home. Because sometimes people aren't ready to let go of things. Sometimes things are really personal and it, it's, it's a really hard journey to um, place something in a archive where it will be used later for research by people who want to know the story of a community. Um, and so what you would, what you can do is you can, uh, it's a little tricky on the e radio to talk about an email address, but our head of archives, Megan Fidel, is the main contact, and you can certainly reach out to me as well. But I would say probably the easiest way to reach out is if you Googled uh, CU Boulder Archives and um, use their main email to at least initially start the conversation. That's probably the simplest way to talk about it over radio, because I doubt people enjoy hearing things <laughs> spelled out one by one. I doubt any of you out there have like a pen and pencil and are ready to go, so. But yeah, Google CU Boulder Archives or CU Boulder uh, Japanese American History Project, and you should be able to find us in the Google results. And you can uh, find the contact information there. And, and we would absolutely love to hear from anyone out there who may realize that they have um, items of their parents or grandparents um, who were CU alum that want to um, realize that now there's a place to put that finally. There it'll be protected and, and safe. So uh, it would be fantastic if people actually learned about us through this program. Yeah, and we'll be sure to link in our SoundCloud when we upload it later this week uh, to the HUD of Archives page uh, where folks can get in touch with Adam and Megan and David and all of the people at CU. Um, and yeah, any parting words from either of you? I, mean, I think uh, one thing I'd, I'll say is that so before this show, we were really talking about kind of why archives matter in kind of this digital age, right, where everything is already kind of archived on your phone anyway. And uh, thinking about that, I think the thing that stood out to me is that archives are really about nuance. They're about kind of cultivating things that don't stand out to you in your everyday. And so when you look at digital format right now, right, that Google, for example, when you Google something, there's so many search options that pop up. There's this overwhelming number of, of information. And archives kind of collect information and kind of categorize it in a way that's nuanced and shows different points of view. And so when Adam talks about kind of things that might not stand out to you or about your parents or about your time here, that's kind of the stuff he's looking for that, you know, might add the nuance to the archive that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah, certainly. Adam and Alex, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
You've been listening to News Underground on Radio 1190. I just spoke with Adam Lisbon and Alex Kamada on a new project through the CU Libraries uh, working to document the Japanese-American community, um, specifically at CU, but also in the general area um, that recently got a grant to work for this uh, for the next year or so. Um, so if you have records, uh, do consider sending them over or at least getting in touch with the library. Um, like I said earlier, I'll be sure to give a link to their page uh, in the SoundCloud description when we upload it later this week. Uh, we're at soundcloud.com slash radio 1190 and that way you can uh, you can get in touch. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in on News Underground. I hope you're having a fantastic Wednesday, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your night. You're listening to Radio 1190, 1190 AM, 98.9 FM, and always Radio1190.org.